Are you expecting the greatest things of this year to come in the next few months that you've ever seen? I want you to excite your heart because we're going to finish this next, this end of this 2023 year, the greatest that we've ever ended it. And I've got three words I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak over the end of this year for you. It's increase, impact, and impartation. That you can believe God for the increase. You can believe him for an impartation and impact. So just take hold of those words that the spirit would move on that and that we would see a powerful move of his spirit as we finish out strong 2023. Are you excited? We're going to read Psalm 118, verse 1 through 7. You're not going to read it all, but there's a part that says, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what I want you to say. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say. Let the house of Aaron say. Let those who fear the Lord at Lighthouse Church say. As it goes on, it says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and he set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear for what can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I will look and triumph on those who hate me. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We just ask that you would move in amazing ways upon your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Why don't you high-five someone and tell them you're glad they're here. Tell them to get ready. God's going to do something in their lives. I just want to position you before I bring the word that in 1 John 4.15, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. As you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, he's in you and you're in him. That's you're with him. That's your position, that you're never alone. And then in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says that who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of your works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before ages began. You are called. You are saved and you are called and you are filled with a holy purpose. Did you know you have a purpose that's holy? And in 1 John 4, 16, it says, and so we have now come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Have you come to know his love? And have you come to actually believe it? And then it says, whoever abides in, in love abides in God and God abides in him because God is love. I forgot that phrase, but it's important that you have come to a place that you know and you understand the love of God. It actually changes everything in our lives. And so as you've now positioned your heart to knowing exactly who you are, right? That's who you are. How many of you guys ever experienced the fear of man? One person? Okay, just maybe two. <laughs> well, this is for you then. 
I don't know. I think I do. I think, I, I think we have, even when, from when we're little, if I ask you to stand and sing a song right now, would you be okay with that? There would be a few of you. If I'd ask you to stand and do a, a dance, would you do, would you do that? Like, yeah, nope. I mean, we have these moments in our lives where why wouldn't you? What causes you not to do those? What causes you not to step out? If, if, if we said, we're leaving church and we're all going to go tell someone about Jesus in a, in a place that you've never been, would you be comfortable? There's like things that make us uncomfortable, make us have a little reserve, maybe a little bit of fear of like, I don't, what are they going to think of me? I know if I were to sing, I'd feel that way. Like just that moment and that effect of the fear of man can cause effects and different things in our lives. It can actually affect what you do. Think about the places that, like, what, where the fear of man has come in and changed what you did. Maybe it changed where you went. Maybe it's changed things in your marriage or how you even raise your children. Has it ever affected how you buy something or what you will buy or won't buy? What about your thoughts? Has the fear of man come in and actually affected the way you think? Or maybe it even has affected your obedience to the Lord. So I want to give you a, a picture of that. Josh, would you come up? Just in case you can't really see it fully. Sometimes the fear of man comes in a lot of different forms, but a lot of times the fear of man can come against your worth. And it can speak things over you and people that you trust, admire, love, can speak something over you, and then you now have a new name. But you hold it. Thanks. How about anybody ever told you you're not enough? How about stupid? He is not stupid. How about ashamed? And has anybody ever said you're sinful? Have you ever told yourself that you can't? You're not qualified. Have you ever been told that you're broken? Maybe too old. Or bad. It can be a lot sometimes. How about insecure? Too ugly or too pretty. Sometimes that happens. How about that you're just wrong? You just don't know what you're talking about. We can be labeled with lots of things because, the, because man chooses their words and uses them towards us. And they speak things over us. And if that's not enough, judgment can come in a lot of ways that's like... Sometimes it takes a lot of effort to pull these out of you because they're deep inside. But sometimes we take things and we we say things over people and we cause judgment. And it's like throwing stones at somebody. And I started telling my children because they're like, well, you're this and you're that. and And I'm like, you guys are throwing stones. Stop it. And sometimes when we, I'm going to throw it. I can't catch it. Okay, just leave it. It's fine. Sometimes that's what happens when someone says something like, that's stupid. I'm not even listening to that. And sometimes when we get spoken over something over us, we pocket it and we start believing it. 
Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you actually take hold of the statement that's been spoken over you in judgment? Are you guilty? I don't I didn't have a gavel, so I just found the closest looking thing. <laughs> A lot of people come in and say things over our lives and they are act like a judge. Have we even given them that position in our lives? Closer. I'm not going to do anything to you. Just wanted you to stand there. Especially in a sin that you've committed. And they say, this is who you are. Judge and jury went out on you. And you're convicted and you're condemned. And the condemnation of man sometimes is very strong. And we take hold of what they say and how they say and who they say we are. And we live in that space. And we get that kind of feeling. Oh, that they had the final say in that. And sometimes in the fear and the judgment of people, we decide... We have to walk and cover ourselves. Because they might actually see who we really are. They might actually really see the sin that we've committed. And they might actually really know. If I just fake it, they'll think I'm a good person. And we live in a fake world and we we treat who we are as, as not the realness of who we are, but a very masked society. We live in a masked society, and, the, and all you have to do is go on Instagram or Facebook for a moment sometimes, and you see that there's people that are just masking who they are, and they're trying to show you who they are, but that's not who they are. And it's a very silent world of sin. And then you're judged by them, because, and they're not even saying anything to you. And you start realizing what they have, and you don't have, and this and that, and then you are all of a sudden became this judge and jury upon yourself. And we try to hide and cover so someone might not see who we are. And we live a lot like this. Masked. Not wanting to ever feel the wrath or the judgment of man. But as I reminded you of who you are just a moment ago... It might be easy to take these things and honestly, we sometimes we set them up and we shape them and we mold them into our lives and who we are and then we bow down to them and we find our obedience comes through that. And I want to speak to you about the story of Saul. Thank you. Everybody give Josh a thanks. You can put all the labels right there. King Saul was the first anointed king in the Bible, and his story goes through 1 Samuel. And he, when he was anointed, it said that he was the tallest of all, and that he was most handsome of all, and God had actually chose him. And Samuel anointed him in a very private moment, and then he walked into the moment where the people got to experience who was going to be their king because they had been asking for a king. And as they went on, and as he, as he went on, you kind of got glimpses of who he really thought he was. And it really showed when he was hiding in the baggage after he was anointed. 
And it says when they wanted to anoint him, they were like, where is he? And he found him in the baggage and they brought him forth. And I'm not really sure his past from that moment before. If his family, I sometimes when you're different, being the tallest of everyone, maybe they said stuff about him. Like, why are you so tall, you giant? You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what they said. But they said he was a head taller than everyone else. And sometimes just because of our differences, like things can be spoken over us that can lead and tend to that space that brings insecurity as such a space in our lives, that judgment of man. And you could see it on his life and in his responses. So he comes into this beginning of First Samuel 15, in the beginning of that chapter. Samuel had come to him. This is not the verse quite yet. And he had reminded him of his call and his anointing. Just like I did to you this morning. Reminded that you are called and you are anointed. And then he, then he spoke a word over him and said, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And the Lord wanted him to go into battle against the Amalekites and to destroy them completely. Not take any survivors, not bring any sheep or goats, nothing. Just destroy them all. And as he walked through that moment and he went out to accomplish the work of the Lord, something happened and he didn't do exactly all that the Lord had spoken to him. And Samuel came to him in, in verse 17. And Samuel Samuel said to him, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? And I just want to mark that moment where he's saying, Look, what you see and what God saw was not the same. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and he said, and then it went on to say what he said. See, do you see who chose Saul? It wasn't the people. It was God. And when God chooses you and he anoints you and he calls you, he did it. But who you believe is on you and who you choose to listen to is on you. Own who God called you to be today. Don't let whatever happened before today dictate your future. Today is the day that you need to own who God called you to be. And sometimes that comes with a great importance that you understand that God has anointed you and he called you and you need to step fully into that and you need to look forward and you need to move forward and you need to let your identity be changed. And you need to let your name be changed, maybe. And maybe you need to let your perspective change. But it needs to be a moving forward emotion of what God has called you to do. Because what he called you to do is good. And it's for good. And it's exciting and it's awesome. And even if you don't get the whole picture and you don't understand the fullness of it, it is a good thing that he's called you to do. It's a great purpose. It's with great excitement that he has it orchestrated and planned and purposed and, and walked out and all the things that he's ordered, all the steps of the righteous. Everything is marked for you. But Saul did not obey the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 15, 24, it says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. 
because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Sometimes there's a great cost to be obedient to the fear of man. Sometimes that cost is very high. In Saul's life, he lost the whole kingdom. But in honestly, it, honesty, this morning I, I wept because I realized that it didn't just affect his position on the earth as king. It actually affected his relationship with God. It changed everything in his relationship with God. And if you don't stand and understand who God called you to be and what he's called you to be, and you let the fear of man and you obey that voice, that will shift things in your life. And there's a cost. It affected the generations to come. You standing in a position that walks in the love of God and the understanding of his love for you will change the generations to come. If you stay in the place that you allow the fear of man to dictate your decisions and your choices, the generations will come. That will come will be affected of it. Even Jonathan. He didn't even get to be a, a prince or a king after that. So that generation that followed Saul was affected. The fear of man can lead us into not obeying the voice of God. But I have some really good news. First John 5.17 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are also are we in this world. We actually have the fullness of God in us, of what he's accomplished and done. So when we stand in this earth and the people judge us and the people do this, we stand in that perfect love that actually is the balance that we need to continue to move forward. There is no room for the fear of man when love is perfected in us. There's no room for it. There's absolutely no room. That's that's David's statement completely. He said, if God is with me, then what can man do to me? Remember that first verse I read about the of man? I'm going to go back to it because if God is on my side, I will not fear. There you go. And what can man do to me? And I was thinking like on my side, like my way. And God was like, no, I'm actually on your side. What can man do if I'm right here next to you? He's not on my side and not on your side. He's on my side. He's right here next to me, walking and working and doing and having his way in and through my life. And if he's right here, like if you come into contact with me, who are you going to see first? Him. You should encounter him. And if, he's, if you say something against me, I can say, well, God said this about me. Do you have those statements that contradict what people might say to you? Well, God has called me a child of God. And God loves me. And that's all you really need to know. It's an abiding with God. There's an abiding with him. It's when he says that you would abide with me. It's this abiding. It's this this fellowship with God that's sweet, that's 
communion with him, that you know what he's thinking and what he's saying and, and what he feels and how much love he has for you. He wants to be that intimate with you every moment of every day, not just on a Sunday, not just like, you know, random times when, man, everything just is going crazy. Well, okay, Lord, what you doing? No, like every moment he wants to have this, this relationship with you. He wants you to shift how you see things. And David actually understood that because that first verse that I just read back read to you talked about Jesus if he's on your side. And then the other verse, it says, the Lord is on my side as my helper. And I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And the helper there is the Holy Spirit. And actually, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that changes how you look at the situation. Well, what can someone say to you if God is the one that said, I can do this? If God qualified me, then what are you to say that I can't do it? Or if God's forgiven me, then you have to understand that his forgiveness is way greater than your judgment on my life. David actually spoke from experience. His desire and, and want to have God's presence was so great. You can read it through the Psalms. You can th- read it through the Kings. You can read it in Chronicles. You can read it through um, Samuel. And he, it's not the fact that there isn't judgment that doesn't come. Because David's life is, is accounted. How long did Saul chase him? There wasn't that it was just like, oh, now it's perfect and flowery, you know? No, he just knew if God was there that no one that came against him would win. Do you believe that? If, no, if someone comes against you that there's no way if God's on my side that they'll win? There's nothing that they can do. I just like had this like great revelation of that, that God was so in control that even if you wanted to say something that was against what God wanted you to say, he knows how to shut your mouth. So he can shut the, the mouth of an accuser. He knows how to make things known and, and make things not known for their right time. He's so good like that. He's so in control. And the other side of that is like out of his great love. Does he bring the release of things in our lives? It's not just like, well, I hope that happens and then I'll make it all better. No, he knows if it's, if it's happening, then he knows how to work it for good. He knows exactly what's going on. He's nothing that's happening in your life he isn't aware of. He's very aware. He's very present. You're, you're his sheep. You're the one he cares about. You're the person. You're his person. You're his beloved. Because in all honesty, he doesn't see Linda. He sees Jesus. When he looks at her, he says, that's my, that's my beloved son. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. And so when he looks at you, he's not going to be like, well, I'll just pick someone else. No, that's his beloved son that he sees. Because Jesus stands in the space between us and God. And he sees his beloved son. And he would never reject him. The world rejects us. But Jesus would never reject. God would never reject Jesus. So would he reject you? He knew the love of God and the importance, David, of his presence with him everywhere he went. And he wanted his presence. And actually, in, I'm going to, you can turn with me, 2 Samuel.
uh, chapter 7, sorry. Verse 8. It says, this is the moment that the Lord was speaking to David about the covenant that he wanted to have with him and what he wanted to do in his life and the anointing he placed on him. And he says, now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I who took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. So David didn't just come into this like from like, he came into this from this from a lowly place. And sometimes we are walking in just like whatever's life is going on. And God all of a sudden desires you to step into something. He's like, don't you understand that I'm the one that's calling you? And he's like, I understood that God took me. He could have been full of insecurities. He walked into like this thing with Goliath and his brother was like, why do you just come in here to hang out and see what we're doing? You know, like even our brothers can be jerks sometimes, you know, like and tell us things. And he's like, no, I've come here for a purpose. And then he defeated Goliath. And then he's standing and all the people that he loved got taken. And and the men were like, we're going to stone you. The guys that were with him and for him, they're like, we're going to stone you because it's all your fault. And then he's like, well, he wanted to die. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. He went to the presence of the Lord and said, God, what are we going to do? And how are we going to do this? And sometimes you've got to take hold of, even when the assaults come, even when the attacks come, that God is there and he's willing to stand with you. He's willing to fight for you. He's willing to be that anointing you need that breaks the chains, that changes everything in the course of history for you and your family. And you've got to take hold of that. He even was in the moment with Saul and he was being chased. And I think sometimes because we know the whole story, if you know the whole story of Saul and him chasing after David, David was out and he had actually went. And I love that. God is so cool. He can use anything, even sleep. And David walked upon the men of Saul and Saul was asleep and all of his mighty men were sleeping and and none of them woke up. They, and it says, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on him. And he took his water and he took his spear. And they had a conversation, the guy that was with him. And I'm like, guys, like if it were me, I'd been like, sneak in, sneak out. Let's not talk and make any noise. And they were like trying to decide, oh, should we kill him or not? You know, all the things. But the Lord had caused sleep to fall upon his enemy. And then he comes out and he's like, look, look what I've got. And in the, in the dialogue between him and Saul, He's like, I don't know if this is what the Lord is doing through you, but hopefully this is an offering to him. So it wasn't that David all just all knowingly knew all the things. He's even standing, he's like, or if it's just that you're wicked and you're just trying to get me out. I don't know which it is. But he says in verse First um, Samuel 26, verse 20, it says, Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. He did not want to be away from the presence of the Lord at any moment of his life. Do you value the presence of God like that in your life? That you wouldn't want anything to keep you from the presence of the Lord. See, I think part of the key is that he trusted the heart of God towards him. Do you trust the heart of God towards you in your life? That is for good and not for evil. That he's doing something for, for the best. 
And not just like, well, I know I messed up all these times, so maybe, you know, I don't know. And I, and I, I think that love is the key to understand and unlock. Because love casts out, perfect love casts out fear. So we do, we need to have sometimes a shift in our vision. We need to see through the lens of love. Because sometimes we see through the lens of judgment far too often. And we see through the lens of our sin far too often. And we see through the lens of somebody else's opinion far too often. And in 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. That's an intimate experience with him. Being his child. The love that he has for you, that is so rich and so good. And in 1 John 4, 17, it says, By this love perfected for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are also are we in this world. That that love perfected in us gives us confidence and boldness in the day of judgment. It changes everything. See, a lot of times we think that either we or people are our judge. And in John five twenty six and 27, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so also has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He's the only one that can bring judgment. And when we think about judgment, we think about a judge sitting and we think about that the judge asked for witnesses. And we think about the laws of the land being, uh, being a part of the judgment. And Jesus is the only one that has the authority to execute judgment in your life. And he does not receive information from anyone else. Whatsoever. He himself knows your heart and actions. And in that, in John 8, 30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. And sometimes when we look back into Saul's life and we see where he took and, and took all of the stuff that was happening in his life and, and, and what happened, at, like he took him from that position and he, you're like, sometimes we look and we're like, well, isn't that bad? Like, why did he do that? That's when you look at it and you say, but God is just. And we don't know everything. And I think when we look at one another, we have to be like that. Well, God is just and we don't know everything. I don't know exactly your heart and the matter that you're struggling in. Are you repentive? Are you going after the Lord? Or is it, is it just like, well, I don't even care. I don't, he knows. That's the thing is, is I'm really glad that he knows and he's a just judge. And that's when we have this love relationship with God. We understand that even in that, that we know he'd be good. Because that's the confidence we need to have. That love confidence. That only God functions from a place of love. Says that God is love. And that God really does have all the control. You just live too much on the earth to think you have control. We like our control. 
We think we have control over others too. Sometimes parenting, you, you get power trips and you're like, but I don't really have control over their heart. I might be able to adapt your reactions, but I don't have control in your heart space. God is the one tending to your heart. God is the one that's over your heart space. He wants you to worship him in in your heart and through your heart, to love him with all of your heart. And his love never fails because he's always the answer. And he's always good. And he really does love you completely. Seeing all of you, the fullness of you, he loves you. He's declared himself your good shepherd. That means he's tending to you. That he's faithful even when you're not faithful. That he's true to you. No matter what, he's going to remain true. It would be against who he is to not come out of a place of love. And you can't put your frame around him as you've looked at others that have said and spoken that they love you and they have acted differently than what the, what the father's love is. Sometimes we like to actually act like God loves us, like our spouse loves us. And that's not true because people have a lot of problems. Anyone have a perfect marriage? A perfect spouse? Anybody have perfect children? No, we're none of, like, I don't even understand, like, how we've come to that realization that we want someone to be perfect when we ourselves are not. And we think they should be, but we need to, we need to function in love, and love is patient, and love is kind. In 1 John 4, 10, it says, in this love that he has for you. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a Thanks for our sins. I really worked on that word. I tried really hard to remember how to say it. Because I, thanks, I like it. (laughs) I'd prefer you not to judge me now. (laughs) That's the fact that Jesus became a sacrifice to bear God's wrath and turn it into favor. That means that the father deals with you like he would deal with his son, Jesus. I thought about as Jesus walked on the earth and all the miracles that he had and the authority that he walked in. And when he said it, it happened. And people experienced that, that great authority of the Lord on the earth that they hadn't ever experienced. And that was all before the blood. And then the blood came. Jesus did it all in that moment. He saved you. And he called you for a holy purpose. I know for myself, I can't afford to walk in the fear of man for one minute. Because of what God has called me to do. Because I'm loved like you. And I'm called like you are. And I'm chosen like you are. 
And there's a moment this morning that I feel like the Lord wants you to surrender some things. And through the studying of this, I came to a great space of surrender. Did you play? Don't fill what's next to you with the judgments of man. Don't fill the space in your heart to contend and constantly come back to and constantly try to rewrite and constantly try to handle this when he's already written what he needs to have happen in your life. It's just a place of surrender. It's saying, I'm not going to believe these things. I'm not going to take hold and allow the things that, and the fears of man to create the obedience I have in my life. Could you stand? Maybe this morning, like I have just a few days ago, you need to surrender to the fear, surrender to the Lord, the fear of not being loved. Maybe you need to surrender the fear of rejection. Maybe this morning it's your time to just surrender and give God the space he needs so that you don't have to deal with the fear of being alone or the fear that's brought by by insecurities in your life. Or maybe it's all the acts of performance that you're trying to earn something from God and you need to surrender that and say, God, you just love me, not what I do. Maybe it's a point of surrender to all the lies that you've believed. The places where people have spoken over you and you said, God, I'm giving you all of those places where they said I couldn't or I wasn't good enough or I wasn't qualified or I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't this and I'm just going to hand you the lies. Maybe you need to hand over this morning and surrender to the Lord all the hurt that's come from the fear of man. The places where men have said something and just hurt you like they've thrown stones. And realize like that woman that was standing there and all the accusers were surrounding her. Wanting to stone her. And Jesus says, if you have no sin, you can throw the first stone. And what did he do? He was the only one left and he couldn't throw the stone. He chose not to throw the stone. Out of love. Maybe it's surrendering all the fears of doubt and unbelief in your life. Maybe it's surrendering the fears that have caused you to disobey the Lord. Just a moment of repentance. And then just take a hold of the love of God. We're going to sing. We're going to make room for you. I surrender, God. I want all of you and nothing more. Like... Just open up your hearts before the altar is open. If you need prayer this morning, the altar's open. But just give, give God space this, this day to break off the judgments of the earth, of the people of this earth, and take hold of the love of God.